the word of God. Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. We are looking at uh, what Scott has called some of the uh, great hits of the first half of the Psalter, some of the greatest hits of the uh, first half of the Psalter. We have uh, looked in uh, three previous weeks, first of all, at the first psalm, which is a wisdom psalm that compares and contrasts the wisdom of the righteous and the uh, folly of the wicked, and uh, that's shown in their ends. And then uh, the second week, we looked at Psalm 2, which is a royal psalm that proclaims the kingship, ultimately, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then last week, we looked at Psalm 8, which is a psalm of praise or worship. And we saw David's response to the creation as he took it all in and considered who he was and who mankind is and saw the immensity of God the Creator. And we worshiped. This week I've just read the 16th Psalm, which is a psalm of confidence. Let us now pray. Our God, you have spoken. In your word, in your grace and your mercy, by your spirit, grant us ears to hear. O Lord, hearts to love, wills, O Lord, to obey. Lord, open this word to us and most importantly, open us to it. For Jesus' sake, amen. This week, uh, or last week, 
I was reading something and it uh, made mention of uh, Vincent van Gogh, the painter. And for some odd reason, I got fixated on van Gogh and thinking and realized I didn't know much about him, so I Googled him and, uh, and refreshed my memory. But I saw one site and it said self-portraits of Van Gogh. I clicked on it and uh, there were 36 portraits, self-portraits of Van Gogh. Now you understand, he was only productive for a decade, uh, from his middle 20s to his middle 30s, and, and then uh, he died at his own hand. But in that time he painted at least these 36 self-portraits. Now he painted over 2,000 works, so that's not an astounding number, but still it struck me as it's a, it's a lot of pictures of the same guy, uh, you know, done by himself. And I looked at them, and it's all the same person, obviously, but from different angles, doing different things, dressed differently, uh, some smoking a pipe, some not, there are two with a bandaged ear, and uh, uh, the result of his insanity, and uh, uh, so on. All of that is simply to bring me to my first point this morning, and that is that Psalm 16 gives you and me a picture of David. It's only one picture painted of him in Scripture. Uh, it's a self-portrait, and he's got a number of them in there. We'll look at some more before we're done with the Psalms. But it gives a pretty good picture of David at a certain point from certain uh, vantage points, uh, certain views of David. He was, first of all, a man who was committed. The first uh, seven verses speak of that commitment. He, he was a man who was committed, first of all, to God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, and look, it's all caps. We talked about this last week, but look again and remember. It's all caps. So what he's saying is, I say to Yahweh, the personal name of God, you are my Lord, capital L, but lowercase, the rest of the letters meaning you are my master. I, I say to Yahweh, you are my master. I have no good apart from you. He was committed to God for refuge. Uh, preserve there in the, the very first word of the psalm is literally watch over me. David's probably not asking for deliverance from a particular set of circumstances. Rather, he's looking to God for ongoing protection in life. His present circumstances were apparently acceptable. Uh, indeed, they were uh, agreeable. He also was committed to God for his well-being. I have no good apart from you. Compare Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven beside you? And what on earth would I desire other than you? It reminds me of, of Peter's question to Jesus. You know, Jesus asked that the crowd, is, he said things that they couldn't take in, and so they're, they're scattering to the winds. And he looks at his disciples, what about you? Are you going to leave too? Peter says, 
To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. David's saying that he found everything he needed and wanted in his Lord. He was committed wholehearted to him. He was committed as well to God's people. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He treasured the communion of the saints, as you and I ought to. It's why we gather here on, on, on Sunday morning. As Scott said, we, we, we're supposed to go out and worship through our lives all during the week. Our lives are an act of, of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. But there are these times when we gather together and we give expression to the communion of saints and we, we engage in and experience the communion, the fellowship of the saints. David held that in high regard. He treasured it. He was committed to God's worship. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. There, the, the false gods... Uh, drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take there the false gods names on my lips it's not the only time he said something like that in Psalm 32 uh, verse 10 many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord he was committed to God's provision Yahweh is my chosen portion in my cup you hold my lot the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And he used the language there uh, that's used particularly in Joshua, but other places as well, of the Lord's dis- distribution of the promised land among the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel, in order to portray God's good provision to him. Lord, you cause all things to fall out well for me is what he's saying and then he was committed to God's counsel I bless Yahweh who gives me counsel in the night also my heart that is his innermost being which is utterly captured, uh, captivated by the Lord and is informed and influenced by the Lord instructs my heart instructs, chastises, disciplines, trains me. Second, not only was a man who was was he a man who was committed, he was a man who was confident, verses eight through eleven. He was secure in this life. I have set the Lord always before me as a trustworthy guide as, as well as a counselor and a teacher. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure in this life. But he is also secure for eternity. Verses 10 and 11. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And there we have uh, very succinctly the self-portrait of David. A couple of lessons from, I know there are more that we could draw from them, uh, but, but a couple of lessons just to draw from this. Note that therefore, 
that begins verse 9. He's saying, in effect, because I have this God to whom I've given myself in wholehearted commitment, he's given me great confidence for this life and the next. There's this connection of commitment and confidence that we dare not miss. And then, secondly, Willem Van Gemmeren, an Old Testament scholar, has written, the primary significance of this text of Psalm 16 is David's confidence that his relationship with God won't end with death. And I agree with that, but, but, subsequent events may well raise the question whether his and perhaps our confidence that our relationship with God won't end are well-founded. You ponder that. And that leads me to my second point, which is that Psalm 16 gives you and me not not only a, a picture of David, a self-portrait of David, but a prophecy of Jesus. Listen to Peter. It's the day of Pentecost. He's standing up preaching to the Jews that have come from all over the place to Jerusalem for the Passover. He's addressing them. It's recorded in the second chapter of Acts. This Jesus, Peter says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then he quotes verbatim, this section of Psalm 16 that we just got through looking at about the confidence of David for this life and for eternity. And then he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. What did David's confidence get him? He's dead. He's buried. And a thousand years later, Peter can stand in Jerusalem and preach and say, and his tomb's right here. It's still here. And it's not empty. Somebody in it. What does that do to your confidence? But, there's the gospel word. But, then Peter continues, verses 30 and 32 of Acts 2. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Now hear Paul, later on in the book of Acts, the 13th chapter, as he echoes Peter. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, our psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. I have no idea how much David knew about the future or of the Messiah. But I know this. By the Holy Spirit, he pointed Israel and you and me to the Savior. And to all the blessings for this life and the life to come that are only in and through that Savior. This I know. Which brings me to my third and final point. Psalm 16 holds out to you and to me the promise of eternity. Paul gives us the basis of that promise in 1 Corinthians 15, writing to the church at Corinth. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. There's the basis of the promise. Here's the essence of the promise. Paul gives it later on in, in 1 Corinthians 15. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the essence of the promise. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. Victory over death, over the grave, over Satan, over sin, over all those enemies 
of our eternal well-being in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on in the last verse of that chapter to give us our response. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, stay committed, stay confident. David, a millennium before the time of Christ showed us the Christian life. It is one of faith commitment and confident hope to and in Jesus Christ. Crucified, dead, buried, risen for your and my salvation. So that we can say with Paul, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. His words can become our words. And we can sing, not just on Easter Sunday, but any other day of the year. Jesus lives, and so shall I. Thy death, thy sting is gone forever. He who deigned for me to die lives the bonds of death to sever. He shall raise me with the just. Jesus is my hope and trust. Amen. That concludes the sermon for all you Christians. It was intended for you. But I'm fully aware there may be someone here who's not at this moment trusting in Christ. Perhaps you're here checking, checking us out us Christians, checking him out, whatever. It's meant for you as an invitation to you. It's meant as an invitation to commit your trust to Jesus, that you may then live in this confidence, with this same confident hope for eternity. And we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to, any, probably anybody in this church would love to speak to you about that. Me or Josh or Scott, any of the pastors. Well, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we bless you and praise you that in a world fallen in sin, a world, O oh Lord, where sin sometimes just breaks through in all of its ugliness. And we have to confront the sin that is in the world, but more importantly, that is in us. That we have a place we can turn. We have one to whom we can turn 
our Lord Jesus Christ, and through him to you, our Father and God. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, O Lord, that Jesus really did die on the cross, offering up a sacrifice for our sin, our imperfection, our shortcomings, our failings, our immorality. Oh Lord, the list goes on and on. We thank you that he died on the cross, was buried, but oh Lord God, that you raised him from the dead. Our assurance that the sacrifice was accepted. Our hope that we will be raised with him on the last day is secured. Lord, enable us all to revel in that good news even in the midst of disastrous and distressing times. I pray, O Spirit of God, that you work in our hearts and our minds and our souls this very day. Every one of us in this room, O Lord, draw us to Christ and by Christ to yourself, O Father. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.